Welcome to DTC Pod, where we take you behind the wheel with the best founders and operators of consumer brands. You'll learn the ins and outs of business from setting up shop, hitting your first million, scaling past eight figures, and even navigating an exit. As founders ourselves, our goal is to help you learn from the best as you build. Visit us at DTCPod.com to sign up for our weekly newsletter, join our founder community, and find additional resources from every episode. DTC Pod is brought to you by Trend, the creative solution for your brand. Go to trend.io to access thousands of creators for content needs such as product photography, unboxing videos, or even TikTok and IG organic creative. Use the code DTCPOD10 for 10% off your next content purchase. As a D2C brand, you need real-time financial visibility to save money and make better decisions. Waiting for books from slow and expensive bookkeepers that don't get e-commerce is slowing you down. Trusted by hundreds of brands, Finaloop is a real-time accounting service built by D2C founders for D2C founders. Try Finaloop completely free, no credit card required. Just visit finaloop.com slash D2C pod and get 14 days free and a two-month P&L within 24 hours with all the e-com data and breakdowns you need to crush it. What's up, DTC Pod? Um, today it's just me and Ramon, and there's been a whole bunch going on in the DTC consumer commerce sort of world in the last couple of months. So we figured we'd do an episode and we'd just kind of chat, chat about some of our favorite topics. So um, Ramon, I'll let you kick us off. What 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 do you want to talk about? <laughs> Taking over here. Um, all right. Well, I know recently we did the pod with Sydney from Lightspeed. And we talked about Chinese e-commerce. I've kind of always surfaced Chinese e-commerce, but have never really taken a deep dive. And I think we should talk about it because I was kind of skeptical of like live shopping in the US, but then Whatnot was like number one in the top rated marketplaces by Andreessen Horowitz. Um, And so that made me take a deeper look, downloaded the app, Still kind of don't get it because I'm like, people just randomly pop into like these lives of people in their closet, but I guess they do. It's the fastest growing marketplace. And um, I think, you know, I, I don't know many people, I found this, I don't know if it was in your LinkedIn or something. You worked for Amazon China? I did back in the day. Yeah. I mean, this is this is when commerce was totally different. I, when I was there, um, you know, there were obviously like the major players. Amazon was was dealing with a tough branding problem because in China, the pronunciation for Amazon is actually Yamashun, which translates to pile of horse shit. So they were going through a whole, <laughs> yeah, it was like a major struggle. So they were going through a whole trying to like rebrand against like 360 Buy and like Taobao and like a couple of these other platforms. So they were going from Amazon to Z.CN. But again, this was what, like 2011, 20. 12 um and you know they stopped operating in that market um you know a a while ago so um it's it's just been interesting to see the evolution and i think the clearly what we're seeing is a whole it's like before um you know d2c brands they would be called direct to consumer right but it was really a someone putting putting a branding play going finding a chinese manufacturer for middle importing the goods as the middleman and selling it, you know, online to a consumer. And I think what some of these marketplaces, um, like you're talking about that we're really seeing is it's like really like the, the Chinese factory going direct to the American consumer. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, let's talk about that. Like the stages, right? Like the number, the first stage is made in China. Everything is made in China. Um, second stage is um, it is sold by China. So these manufacturers are saying, wait a minute, we can try and go directly after these customers. That's when Wish started popping up um, in those kind of marketplaces. Um, and then, um, you know, China itself also doing the marketing and the customer acquisition. Um, there was this app, uh, I forget the name, uh, Tin Temu, actually, like they, they had a Super Bowl commercial. And that's when I first learned about it, just crazy cheap prices. Um, I don't know what the quality is like. But what's interesting about that is like this marketed by China concept. It's like, that's almost what my friend um, Jeremy at Italic is doing. So technically, you know, he kind of is a middleman, but he's not because He's allowing the manufacturers of high-end retailers to sell the goods directly from the manufacturer to the consumer. And he's kind of giving them the entire technology to manage the consumer. It's like Shopify B2B for Chinese manufacturers. And it's interesting because we've only seen this marketed by China concept take off with like AliExpress, Wish, DHgate, Temu, Shein, like only low quality, right? And so what is the, what is the markup? What is the price and like of, of the higher end and the curation? Um, you know, is that the differentiator from what Italic is doing? And is that something that China themselves can do? Well, I think one of the important things is like, who is the American consumer? And like, what, what do people actually want? Right. So I think what a lot of, uh, D2C brands have done a really good job of is like spinning up a really high quality product or at least you know to like really high quality in terms of brand maybe the sourcing is great and all of this but like at the end of the day if you look at america and who the shopper is right value still like reigns supreme people want value people want a bunch of stuff like america no matter how much we talk about how we want to transition to you know a more environmentally conscious shopping environment etc like we're a big country and there's a lot of shoppers who just want a whole bunch of stuff for a really cheap yeah. price. Um, and so I think that, uh, like you were talking about, like Timu, for example, and a lot of these vertically, vertically integrated sellers, what they're able to do is really just target and even Amazon, right? Like I think Amazon's the best example of it where Amazon's just a marketplace, but I always call it the Chinese swap market or the, the Chinese swap market because, yeah. you know, it's just all these Chinese retailers that can go on there, put put on their products for a super cheap price. And when you're searching for utility on a, a search platform like Amazon, you're just going to buy what has like decent, uh, you know, an available price and decent rating. You're not caring as much about brands. So I think these vertically integrated retailers are really kind of taking the market by storm here. The biggest gap though is like, it's just crazy to me how the Chinese can understand. Well, they're getting a better understanding of the U.S. consumer, right? Like it was AliExpress. Now you're seeing more penetration from like Shane and um, all these other. Is that how you say it, Shane? Shane. Shane. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> that's how you say it in Chinese. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, you're seeing more penetration. And, and um, I mean, it's more so like they're doing they're understanding more the consumer behaviors are you familiar with pinduoduo 
Like that is one of the fastest growing ones. I heard the breakdown on the Acquired FM podcast. And what's fascinating about that is like, it's a community. So Chinese communities are really tight and they sort of pool money together so they can get it from wholesalers. Do you think that could work in the US? Like, do you think there's like a, a cultural barrier of like, I'm not asking my neighbor if they want to buy toilet paper um, <laughs> today. So actually funny, like being in startup land, you, you've tried everything, right? And back actually when we we're starting seated and we we're transitioning to seated, um, our whole concept was like groups, right? And getting them together and doing things. So obviously we ultimately became uh, restaurants and restaurant deals and rewards. But before that, we actually tested this concept called Voco Buy, which was like a group buying thing. It was like the hardest thing in the world to do because like exactly what you're saying is you're you know, we would go to these merchants and be like, hey, if I get a whole bunch of people to buy in on this deal, would you sell? And they're like, yeah, that sounds good. And then I went to actually try to like <laughs> do this group buying thing. And that's just not how Americans shop. Again, this was like 10 years ago. And sure, maybe things will evolve, but I've seen so many different like reincarnations of that. And I just think it's a it's a hard thing to do when people want something like especially the American consumer. They're pretty discerning buyers and they want what they want when, th when they want it. So I think yeah, it's contradictory from like, you know, Amazon's core value being faster and faster delivery. Um, and that alone has sold it, has turned it into like the juggernaut it is. So like this kind of like adds more friction to the buying process with goes against consensus of like what makes e-commerce work um, in America. But, but, I mean, but I mean, crowdfunding, there's definitely like impulse shopping behaviors for sure. Um, I think with the advent of mobile being able to do it in real time like if you're able to see a deal and you see a product you like and you're like oh shit i mean it could work for like ex it could work for expensive products right sure. like a trip or something like hey if i me and my friends three of my other friends book this airbnb for separate times or something but we'll you know pay up front um, you have the incentive to save a grand or whatever on, on a specific product. Um, but it's just wild. Um, the numbers that, uh, some of these are pulling because, um, this company shine 30 billion in sales in 2022, projecting 80 billion in 2025. Um, it's just bananas. Yeah. And I mean, my favorite thing that shine does that, you know, a lot of the, founders that will have on DTC pod, they always talk about how, you know, product iteration cycles are a little bit slower in D2C. So they're like getting customer feedback and they're turning it around. <laughs> yeah. Like shot. The reason shine grew so fast is because they own the whole supply chain and they're totally vertically integrated. So they're vertically integrated from their like landing page and their PDP so they're gathering the data, they're understanding like literally what's selling and then they're manufacturing it on the back end and they have the infrastructure to go from like product test and iteration to like manufacturing, shipping and owning the whole thing like pretty instantly. So, I mean, yeah, that you just see the numbers. It's it's child labor, <laughs> infrastructure. Yeah. There's like a weird um, ethical component to it though at the same time, like, but at the same time, it's like, you don't know what you don't know. So that's why people like, sure, you might hear that there's something going on, but you don't know for sure. So you're like, whatever, it's five bucks for this shirt. I don't know. Um, I don't have to feel guilty about this because I haven't seen that or um, I have no clue how these products are made. And most people don't even question it because 
most people that aren't in commerce, like that are consumers, they just don't know what it takes to get the cost down of something to $5. Yeah, they just want what they want and that's about it. And maybe you'll see more of like a bifurcation where, where I think we've even seen it, right? Like you have things that you're like brand conscious about. And if you're shopping at the brand level, um, you know, you want things that maybe aren't made in China and are made with higher quality standards and all this kind of stuff. And if you're looking at it from a utility perspective, you just need a tool and you need it now. And then you go to Amazon and you can go to one of these marketplaces. Like think about, you know, shopping for a Halloween costume. Do you care if it's like the best quality Halloween costume? No, you're going to like wear it once. Right. That's it. Right. And there's so many. So, yeah. So what do you think is going to play out that like, um, you know, China is just going to come in here and like grab all the consumers and sell directly to them for lower cost? Or do you think there's going to be a brand element? Um, and like, we just understand the consumers better and know how to build better brands and um, social relevancy is, is more important. I think that, I think that people, it's, it's hard to like craft the kind of what we were talking about in terms of price, right? Like so many D2C brands, the reason they start D2C is because that's where their customers are, but then they all want to go retail. They have to trim their margins down. Now they're all like really pumped when they're selling in Walmart, which is like, you know, a, a bull retailer where like price is a key driver. You know what I mean? So I feel like, um, you know, I think the, the way the market will kind of play out from, from the consumer's perspective is I think consumers will be discerning about the things that they really care about and the things that they want to last a long time. But for other more utilitarian sort of things, I think like they'll just get what's cheap fast and available and we see it with amazon right like yeah i'm sure there's a bunch of stuff if you need like a a, a phone case or like a screen protector or like a, a plug to plug it and charge your phone like you're not like really thinking about your brand you're like okay does it have oh, yes. is it going to get here fast like and i think that's what china has been able to to kind of capitalize on the other thing i think this kind of transitions well into one other thing that um you know we've been talking about in in the streetwear side of things right and how shoppers shop but like um you know so think about supreme right like their i know it came out this week that their revenue has been on like a massive decline and everything and like we kind of the last couple of years has been this massive era of like logos and brands of supreme off-white yeah your iron closet is supreme <laughs> <laughs> That was a joke, but (laughs) anyways, keep going. But, but yeah, I think that, um, it kind of pairs with that, right? It's like before everything was about logo, logo, logo here, here's, yeah. And now people are kind of almost looking for more just like, yeah. What do you think about that whole trend? Well, I mean, what do you think are the macro drivers? I think fashion is like insanely tough. I think, I think fashion is heavily driven by trends and to stay on top of the trends um, you have to be sold tight to culture. Like, first of all, this company VF Corp owns Supreme. I thought it was Louis Vuitton that bought it or LVMH. Maybe LVMH owns VF Corp. I don't know. I looked up VF, VF Corp. Thir- 13 billion in revenue based out of Denver. Um, pretty crazy. But like, you know, if you ask anyone, name 10 um, high qual, high end brands. Um you know, people say the same ones, Gucci, Louis Vuitton, Dior, and how many brands are there in the world? Thousands and thousands. 
and like the fact that you can name like 10 and most people will probably name the the same 10 um says a lot of like how hard it really is to remain that that relevant um and so you know supreme was started by this guy um you know uh, supreme in fairfax in la um where all the skateboard kids were and once it got bought out the guy the founder was like i'm out um and so the people that bought it were like oh this is already embedded into culture this is going to be a money printing machine and like yeah every kid was sort of rocking supreme but what happens when you remove the culture that brought up that brand it's like it's really really hard to keep that there and i think that's what happened i think like you know you look at their instagram count 13 million there's other brands that are you know uh rising way above that um like fear of god has stayed super relevant jerry lorenzo who's a creative director there supreme just got bought out by private equity or whatever and like i just think um streetwear operates differently than um most other clothing um brands well yeah and what you were talking about of trends right like trends move and they're so tied to culture and if in a lot of the brand of supreme it's like you you think about the logo it's like loud it's like red white it's supreme like everything right and even like a brand like off-white or, or something like these louder sort of brands and then if culture is moving you know it's like a pendulum and it goes back and forth and if now you're moving more towards like a more discreet luxury right like even on the streetwear side you see brands like you know like i'm a leon door and a couple others sort of popping up that people are really liking but they're like they're great quality they're cool but they're and they target that same sort of person but they're more like um they're a little bit more low-key and it just seems yeah from from a like streetwear and a fashion perspective the pendulum always swings and um you know that could also be something tying into it well what i think is interesting is like that pendulum swings further and further if like the higher the, the higher end the brand is supposed to be or the prices like vf corp also owns vans and north face and you know why is supreme being so much more affected than vans um there's a lot more price sensitivity and so that is tied to the brand and the culture way more than vans um vans is like you know easy to afford skateboarding shoes every skateboarder can buy vans um people are buying supreme because of fomo and fitting in and so when you detach that um i mean yeah. they went from 60 um like their net income decreased to 64 million from 82 million the year before um and the revenues down uh 523 million from 561 million when they projected 600 million that's a really it's gonna be really hard for them to like get back up crocs did it with bad bunny so maybe bad bunny could be the saving grace for supreme yeah no 100 percent. it's just interesting to think about how these brands that are like even I've had friends that like work at Nike and some of these bigger brands and like their sales strategies are so interesting because they are, they'll have exclusive products that like target those type of shoppers who are like looking for the exclusivity, but then they'll sh sell like other products in their like core performance line or in their outlet lines. And they're generating all this revenue while they're selling, selling to all these different product segments. You know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm not as up to speed on like what Supreme's like overarching 
you know, products. Right? I mean, they have pretty good, they have pretty good variety. Like they get into home, people buy the rugs, the ashtrays, like the bags, the hats, the, the, the hoodies. But, um, I, no, but I, you get, think... you get what I'm saying? Like in terms of like, in like a brand like Supreme has like a core kind of demographic graphic of the mm -hmm. people that buy them. Whereas like mm -hmm. a brand like Nike, you could be someone who's like urban in New York making like a couple hundred grand a year, a million a year. You could be a billionaire rocking Nike. Yeah. You could be like lower middle class in the suburbs at like the outlet shopping Nike. And it like yeah. they've got products and product qualities and product grades for everyone. And they're able to keep everyone in their own lane. So yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't know if Supreme is as much like that as opposed to just catering to one sort of um, type of shopper who then is like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, you know, it's 2023. I'm interested in this new hot brand. Like, like yeah. that was cool last year. I'm on to something else, you know? Well, um, on that note, that's a good transition to something I wanted to bring up, which is um, like, there's this thing on penetration. Uh, so, you know, the instant pot, like everyone has that in one of their house. I was looking and looking this up, the company's called instant brands. And so they just um, filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy, which um, the wildest stat to me though was, and I mean, this is from market watch. So 90% of homes in the United States have one of these um, and they're filing for bankruptcy, having to like even, you know, get a commitment of 130 million in debt, probably just to be able to like wind the company down. They were profitable. Um, they had EBITDA of about um, 57 million. So I was like, I was looking at all these numbers and I'm like, why? So they own a bunch of brands, the Instant Pot, Pyrex, Snapware, etc. I'm like, okay, insane penetration, 90% of homes. What is going on here? How is this company going bankrupt? So excessive inventory supply, um, inventory supply is like one of the assumptions um, because yeah, you would think that during COVID, a lot more people would buy these things. Um, but turns out, you know, because every product from homes like skyrocketed during COVID, but then like, well, could people just like be more into cooking because they have more time to be at home. But I think I do know what happened. I think, uh, this is my theory, zero research backing this one, <laughs> but, um, I think like you, if you have 90% of home penetration, you only need one instant pot, right? Like you don't lose <laughs> your instant pot. Um, it's not like you take it with you to travel and like, oh shit, I forgot my instant pot at my friend's house. So um, is that a valid assumption? I mean, I think it could be, but I think uh, one of the bigger problems that they had was just like mismanaging their inventory, especially in the tailwinds of COVID, over-indexing on it and then getting eaten um, by the cost it took to like carry all that inventory. But like, yeah, I, I agree. I 50% I, I down in sales. Like I the only, only other thing. Spot. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. I, me neither. I mean, that thing takes up the entire countertop. Um, <laughs> the, the, the only reason, the only other reason could be that like after COVID, like people instead actually picked up cooking more and they're like, I've got all day to sit here. Last thing I need to do is put thing on the instant pot, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, and I mean, I, it looks like they have a whole bunch of different brands under them. Like, 
Pyrex, right? There's a whole bunch of different Pyrex, or you don't just have one Pyrex, right? You could have a whole cook. Oh, that's a right. Of different ones. Yeah. Same things with Snapware. It's like where you're storing food. But again, if they made projections based off the COVID stuff and then um, things just, you know, they were supporting a whole bunch of inventory and they basically over index on their inventory, that can eat into your, your, your margins pretty fast, you know? Yeah. I mean, so many things could have happened on the management front as well. Uh, selling snapper is very different than selling instant pot. I guess I obsess over this instant spot instance here. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah. What do you want to talk about? So, uh, oh wait, another one I have is, um, do you know the ice cream company Yazo? No, tell me. So I love, I love ice cream. Um, I probably eat it. I'm definitely having some tonight. I eat like three times a week ice cream and, but I hadn't heard of this company called Yazo and they got acquired by Unilever. Um, and then I looked up the rev it, um, Yazo makes over 200 mil, two to three, wait, 300 million in 2023 in sales. Oh, wow. That's bizarre um, on retail. And I've never seen this ice cream company um, or tried it. But how much? 300 million. 300 million. Greek mochi. Greek yogurt. Yeah. So I guess. Um, so Unilever, the last ice cream company they acquired. Do you know Tipalti? No. Dude, I, I'm it's not like, as into. I, yeah, I, I, man. But, <laughs> yeah, you're. Um, you would recognize that if it was pizza. Um, wait, yeah. no, Tabalti, it's, um, I forget the name. Um, basically, Unilever hasn't acquired like an ice cream company in a really long time. And it's um, it's the first one they do in a while. So just was curious if you've seen this because that was, um, those numbers are bonkers. No, that's wild. That Talenti, Talenti, sorry. Ben and Talenti. Jerry's. Yeah, 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 I know Talenti. Yeah, so that's the last one they bought. And then um, now they also include Ben and Jerry's Magnum and Talenti. Ben and Jerry's is definitely my favorite brand by a long shot, but the sugar levels are so insane. It's like, it's so funny because they are so environmental friendly and supportive, but yet like their ice cream is just loaded with sugars. Yeah. I mean, I think that's another trend that we're going to see something that like I'm particularly interested in is is just like in the food nutrition space it's like america like we're we're such a consumer culture that we're always like building problems to like building things to solve problems that shouldn't be problems in the first place you know what i mean mm -hmm. so yeah yeah uh, self-inflicted yeah it's like you have like crazy consumer culture which leads to like problems and then you create more solutions for those like downstream problems so um i think in the health and wellness i think health and wellness and CPG has been like really interesting and there's a lot of opportunity and trends to go after. I think um, things in like the health space in terms of like gut health, in terms of bloating, I know that's like a massive thing, especially processed foods, right? Like a counter kind of sort of movement to all the highly processed foods that we've seen in America over the last 30 years. Um, so things that are moving in that direction, also in the, the food space, the oils, right? Like there's a crusade out against like seed oils um, that I've been seeing a bunch of. So really natural oils like olive oil and other sorts of oil. I think that's that's going to be a big, big trend that we're going to see in, in CPG um, and more natural products. More, I think that's what people want more, you know, healthy, natural 
products. I think that's going to continue. Um, and then the other thing in terms of brands, I know you just brought up some ice cream brands. Um, well, well, yeah, yeah. What were you no, saying? the other thing I wanted to talk about though is like um, you're talking about these self-inflicted problems, and like another one is like this. I've heard a lot of people talking about the mess going on with like leakage and coupon codes and affiliate links and. You and I were actually talking about this on the phone and it's like, well, yeah, we created this. We made a, you know, commerce made affiliate marketing and influencers a really successful channel. But now we have a problem, which is we're overpaying on some of these affiliate commissions and um, we can't track all this stuff. And, and what is actually driving the success behind specific affiliates? So you're starting to see a lot of companies popping up in like the security side of tracking the codes and making sure they can only be used once or really understanding where they're coming from because some influencers might grab the link they can put it on a on an article um and say i don't know TechCrunch or whatever and like get all those commissions paid out to them when the distribution was done by the original source what are your thoughts on that um you know i know uh Social Snowball is like working on some of this stuff. I heard about this company through Peter um, from Pudgy Penguins and, and Bureau when I had dinner with them. But um, like, I mean, to me, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, well, good that they put it there. You know, like I think there's, I think there's two sides to coupons, right? And there's certain brands that like, I know when I've run companies, there's certain times where like, I want coupons to leak because like, I know what the right. deal is I'm running and I'm like, okay, like, I don't, like, that's the whole. Thing. Wait, you want coupons to leak as who? As a, as the. As like the brand owner, right? Like what I okay. don't want, I don't want to cannibalize sales, but at the same time, like, I don't really care if a couple more people are using a coupon if they weren't going to buy and like, that's going to incentivize them to buy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm putting out an offer because I want people to take it. Uh, I think what you don't want and what some of these solutions are targeting is you don't want to cannibalize existing traffic where someone comes to your site is ready to make a purchase goes in google's whatever coupon code and now you just lost 30 percent of your 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 payment that someone was really was already willing to pay full price for. well there's there's two things people don't brands on what it's that and then they don't i think they don't want to pay an affiliate like overpay an affiliate all these commissions and take credit for money that they pretty much didn't create the distribution for so like they might have thirty thousand followers on instagram that's where you found them they ended up putting in one of these like you know one of these someone else yeah or someone else picks it up and then that original creator is getting the attribution for uh, they're getting pulled out a bunch and they're getting paid yeah yeah so so i mean to me that's not as big of a problem than the cannibalization because like whatever that person is getting paid all that but you know they they were clever they sneaked that in an article on yahoo or whatever that's you know i still got those sales but the cannibalization is the i guess the issue in like yeah i mean i think it's a good it's a good problem to solve and and on the tech side of things it's it's funny how like coupon codes even we're talking about it with with justin how like hard coupon codes even in something like stripe how hard they are to manage right like like just having to make a script to like upload thousands of unique promo codes like that product doesn't even exist in stripe which i find like pretty crazy um 
Yeah. yeah so I mean, you use use once. I I mean, I don't know. Maybe we should have these people on the pod at some point to talk about this because yeah, we can talk about it. used to link it all day. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And then other things, just in in I guess in financing news, things that kind of popped up on our radar this week. Um, looks like the brand Ten Thousand they raised twenty twenty one and a half mil. Um, led by Providence uh, with participation from Fernbrook and Alpha. Um, and it looks like they're trying to go after being one of like America's next great uh, apparel sort of activewear brands. Um, so that, w- that was really interesting to me because we hear a whole bunch about how like the markets are getting hit and no one's raising capital. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's if you're building big businesses in the right space, there's there's clearly capital still out there. And then Lalo as well raised, um, you know, a 10.1 million Series A. So it looks like things are still going strong in the baby market. That that's a market that never ceases to uh, to amaze me. Yeah, I know. Did you look at that company? Yeah, I've seen them. Like, um, it's pretty wild. It's just aesthetically pleasing, you know, baby um, chairs. But um, 10,000 was it, it was. I mean. I thought this company was like running hot on like the Facebook ads days. They went pretty hard on Facebook a few years ago. Um, and, you know, this space is just, it has so much growth potential, especially within niches within fitness. So like, you know, Gymshark is still killing it, Lululemon, et cetera. But 10,000 found the niche of like ex-veterans and you look at the content on their website and they're clearly targeting a niche within fitness um so niche within um niche is uh definitely something that like if you really own that entire vertical um you can still build a pretty big business because i assume they had a i mean you know i don't i don't know what venture valuations are on um e-commerce companies but they must be doing something really right well, and the other thing that they did do right, which is really important for like brand operators is they were profitable since 2020. So, um, you know, it's not like we're seeing them raise a big round and they were like bleeding cash all over the place. Like they're found in 2017. I think they raised uh, three in their like previous round and then reached profitability in 2020. So they've been profitable for three years now. And that is a pretty strong signal for any VC to kind of get involved, especially in those like big categories, like activewear, where, you know, health, wellness, activewear, it's such a massive, like long tail trend in the U S yeah. And, and Lalo, um, going back to Lalo, like one of the cool, so first of all, they claim to be like one of the fastest growing baby related companies. I, I think, um, Shireen and, and Bobby, um, trump that i think um bobby is actually one of the fastest growing baby companies i think they did over 100 million already and i don't know how long um but yeah lalo the niche within the niche but looking at lalo's content is like rich moms um just based on like what you can see in the in the content but the cool thing about building any mom related well i mean it's baby related but um moms are doing the buying any mom related product is that you can tap into distribution outside of ads, um, given that there's so many mom communities out there and blogs and 
you know, first things moms do when, you know, women do when they're going to become a mom is ask around, what is it? Who is it you buy from? What are the essentials? What are um, the products you need? But there's so many mom Facebook groups um, and these communities where um, a lot of the products are shared and you just get crazy organic growth. Um, so always found mom products to be fun, um, just because you can get very creative around like how you acquire the customer. Yeah. And, and I think just in terms of timing, right? Like we always talk about how important timing is in markets. It was almost like the last like five years or something. And I, we'll still see it continue. It's like the baby and mom market is so hot because like all of the influencers who grew up on Instagram, like they all became moms, right? And yeah. they're talking about their life all day. And now they're just talking about like being moms and like, oh, a lot of you have been asking what type of baby chair I'm buying and this is it, you know? Yeah, man, that is like such an interesting insight though. Like <laughs> that is, that could, that could be the moneymaker. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole pitch right there to raise some money. Yeah, yeah. put it on your deck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Market tailwinds, influencers becoming moms. <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, I mean, I realize that even like, I'd say like, three or four years ago um, before, uh, you know, when I was working on some businesses with creators, I wanted to work with one and like build an app. And, uh, you know, this massive creator like was like, oh, I want to do a mom app. And I was like, oh, really? And I was like, we ended up not doing it because like, I think it's really important for whatever business that you're working on to like really be able to get into the weeds, like really care about it and being, you know, like not having a kid like i just didn't want to spend my whole day like thinking, you're like you're not ready to be a mom yet you should stick to being an influencer <laughs> so so we never got that off the ground but like yeah clearly and this was like five years ago the interest was there from the biggest creator they're thinking about their lives what products resonate with them why it's important and yeah that space has taken off and what kind of what you had mentioned before is like if you're building products in the baby space, there's so many opportunities to collaborate with other baby products who maybe aren't in your specific niche, right? Like babies are people too. They need furniture, they need uh, food, they need clothes, they need all the same things. So um, yeah, it's super, super interesting space. So and, yeah. So Kevin Durant, um, a famous mom, um, his, uh, obviously not, but, um, Kevin Durant is like his fund is leading this series. A. I just love, have you seen their website? How minimal? No. What is it? Let me pull it up. I mean, I know they're fun, but so they're, um, it's super minimal. It's just incredibly minimal, but I think it's my biggest takeaway here from looking at this website is how specific the content is, how clearly they're trying to target people the consistency in the content even below you can't click out into the like it looks like an instagram feed and it says follow along lalo and but you can't click out to the instagram from the images so and it, it's all clearly showing i mean these are definitely like million dollar homes or or near that based on the kitchens so um for aesthetically pleasing um you know just just moms have money and want the house aesthetic to be consistent and um the niche within the niche so um yeah i love that um yeah i think that's pretty much it for this week uh we got some great podcasts coming up and 
Yeah, I think we'll be, I, I like this. I think we should jam out and do some of these sessions a little bit more often. Yeah, same here. Um, let's do next week. We should break down some websites. I think um, looking over the content and like the the demographics, etc. And and so expect more stuff like that coming from us. So um, subscribe to the DTC pod below. Let us know what you think on this formatting. Um, should be fun, less predictable than interviews, but we'll keep a mix of interviews in there. And that's it for now. You all have a great one. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of DTC Pod. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love your support. A rating and a review would go a long way as we continue to host the best builders in DTC and beyond. Follow and subscribe to the show, and make sure to check out our show notes where you can find our socials and weekly newsletter. Visit us on dtcpod.com to join our founder community and access resources from every episode. We'll see you on the next pod.